0: Welcome to tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 182.
1: I'm Kevin Roth. I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to define and live your own dream life is key, and one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend Scott Mater. So it showed up for me throughout my life because I kept thinking if I had enough fame, fortune, love, things uh, that would make me happy. But the real happiness I was searching for was. Where can I find this essence, this substratum for God? You know, so I was a self-help book junkie.
0: Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship podcast, you'll learn to invest in yourself invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interview Kevin Roth. Kevin shares with you about his journey from musician to coaching. Kevin also shares with you how his faith journey intersects with this trip as well. And Kevin shares with you what Dalsa meditation is and why he believes in teaching it to others. One area that a lot of folks need some help with is around the area of productivity. Getting not just more things done, but actually getting the right things done can be really tough. I've got a course called Productivity for Your Passion that's designed to help you do this and then to help hold you accountable, and walk with you so that you can tailor productivity not just to be getting more done, but actually getting the right things done. What's more, we take the approach of looking at your personality and how you actually look at things in the world and tailor the productivity system to your personality. Because the truth is, a lot of the systems that are out there are written really well for somebody with a particular personality type, but if you have a different approach to things, they just don't work. But there's tools and techniques and approaches that you can take that will work for anyone. And we help you do that, in productivity for your passion. Check it out over at inspiredstewardship.com slash launch. Internationally known singer, writer, and dulcimer player Kevin Roth has recorded over 50 recordings won numerous awards, sang the theme to the hit PBS TV show, Shining Time Station, and been recognized by major companies such as Time Warner, Parents Magazine, Sony Music, among others for his unique talent. In 2016, he was diagnosed with stage 3 melanoma and given only 2 to 3 years to live. Kevin had a choice, either get busy living or get busy dying. He beat the odds, changed his diet, outlook, and went from surviving to thriving, moving from Kansas to beautiful San Diego, California, where he created a life worth living on his own terms. At that suggestion of a colleague, he decided to teach others what he did to change his life and continues to do this daily to create a healthy, balanced, happy, and successful life. Since 2016, he has been cancer-free and is now highly regarded by doctors, clergy, and professionals for his unique life coaching skills, as well as creating a unique form of meditation called Dulce Meditation. Kevin has dedicated his life to music and now to life coaching, teaching powerful spiritual and scientific-based evidence techniques that helps one let go of stress and live an authentic and happy life. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you've got a little different take on some things when it comes to being a coach. So can you talk a little bit about your journey from music and doing that as your career and your calling and now how you're doing that and infusing that into your coaching as well?
1: I was born musical. I played the piano by ear when I was a kid. Oh, wow. Cool. When I was in, I found a musical instrument called the mountain dulcimer and decided long before that, actually, that I wanted to have a career in music. So I was 13 when I saw the dulcimer and I was fortunate enough that at 16, I got my first record deal with Folkway records. So my career as a folk singer and dulcimer player started around 1974. The real interesting thing about all this is I was also born as a spiritual searcher. It's just kind of, it was in me. So I always had a sense that this world didn't seem real or something didn't make logical sense to me, even as a kid, because why didn't the moon fall into the planet? Why were we spinning at a thousand miles an hour and nobody seemed to notice while other kids were talking about basketball. (laughs) (laughs) I was doing that. So, there was a longing from the very early start, which is, I think, part of the artist's nature to wonder where does the music come from? Where does everything come from? Very young children, babies, and very young kids have this connection to whatever you want to call it, God, Jesus, Buddha, whatever it is. And then we get older. We... uh, develop a life, and ego, and we fill in the space of that longing with things, money. We try
0: to. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. And we get moments of happiness, and then they're as fleeting as fame until something happens so major in one's life that they're forced to look at that. So the reason I bring all that up is because... I wanted from the very start to be rich and famous because I thought that would make everything wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I got there eventually. It took a long time, but I did arrive. I got the major record deal, the book deal, the TV show, the money, but I wasn't happy.
0: I was going to say, and what did you find?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't happy. I had moments of happiness. And so the, the career was successful. I had a lot of zeros in my checking account and a zero in my heart because I wasn't particularly happy doing what I was doing. And then in 2015, I got hit with stage three melanoma mm-hmm. and told that my type of melanoma, there was no cure for. And even though they removed it, they said that there was a 70% chance it would come back within okay. a year and I'd be dead within two so i took the nose dive down the rabbit hole and said who am i what am i doing why am i doing it and what matters and i completely changed my life. i moved from kansas where i was staying at the time and i moved to san diego california i was almost bankrupt i had no music career in motion and i was stalled. And then everything changed. As soon as I changed my life, everything got better. My Mm -hmm. my second life started in 2016. And then a few years later, it was suggested that I teach people what I did and what I do every day to keep this new Kevin's life going. And that's when I became a life coach and used the dulcimer in something I developed called Dulce meditation. Teach people who are musical or non-musical, because the dulcimer is really easy to play, chill out within just a few minutes of playing a very simple, beautiful musical instrument. Mm
0: -hmm. And we'll talk some about that and how that intersects with your coaching. But I want to explore a couple of things that came up as you were telling that story. First off, what's interesting is you're The third guest that I've had on the show that had that form of cancer and has actually recovered at one of the three, it came back, but it was again removed and he's still okay. So it's interesting to me that event shows up in several people as a life-changing event. How do you think that really, I don't want to say how did it show up in your life, but how did, what way did it affect you? How did it shake you to your core? Was it about the fact that you felt that it was a terminal event or was there more to it?
1: There's nothing like a death sentence to wake you up. Yeah. So mine was stage three. There's only four stages. So it was a pretty serious one. I knew because I'd done research that stress and inflammation Mm -hmm. are leading causes of cancer. And I was an emotional leader because I was unhappy. And I was under constant stress being in the music business and people not paying for music these days, just downloading it and so forth and so on. So I said, you know what? This is not worth dying for. And If I'm going to die, which I didn't think I would because I had throughout my life, several out-of-body experiences, which proved always accurate, and I had been own this whole event and that I would be fine. I said, you know what? I'm going to California going to be a live like a bohemian artist like I am and do it my way. And I don't really give a shit what anybody else thinks or does. And if I want to do music, I'll do it. If I want to sit and watch surfer dudes, I'm going to do that.
0: And how did how did it affect you you mentioned you called yourself a spiritual seeker from a child. How did That journey of spiritual seeking, faith journey, whatever you want to call it, how did that go through both before the diagnosis and after? How how did that show up in this journey?
1: It shows up as a kid in everybody when they're first born because we're connected to that consciousness. When people have near-death experiences, they talk about crossing over and feeling like they're home And that's what I felt that I was not thrown out of, but placed out of (laughs) as far back as I can remember. I just kept thinking, this doesn't feel right. I don't feel like I belong here. It's like somebody dropped me off at a summer camp and said, see you in the fall. And I wanted out. I thought, so I had an instinct, as do hundreds of thousands of people that have near-death experiences. I didn't have one. I had an out-of-body experience which is very different that's more like being living in two parallel universes at the same time but no one fears death they have this thing in them in their awareness that says there is this energy that's all loving that is all there is and it's beautiful and this is just I'm like a spiritual being having a human experience So, it showed up for me throughout my life because I kept thinking if I had enough fame, fortune, love, things, that would make me happy. But the real happiness I was searching for was, where can I find this essence, this substratum or God? So, I was a self-help book junkie, did all kinds of things, not knowing that it's who I am and that it's right there. I don't have to go anywhere. (laughs) You laugh when you find it out. It's remarkable. And I'm not a real big guy on woo-woo stuff. Teach it now. It has to be proven to me. I don't go with think it and it will happen. I don't buy all that. I think there's more to it. But I looked at science and science is and was agreeing with ancient spiritual texts. Science was saying that we're made up of 99.9999 whatever atoms and they're empty. The universe is expanding into what? Well, Everything is the mind. It's the mind. It's the ego. Cut open a brain and show me where the mind is. You can't find it. So what is it? So people live in this reality of my 401 k. And life, which is more of a dream, temporary, very temporary experience. And we get caught up in it, which is what makes us sick, Mm -hmm. which is what makes us stressed. So when you have another knowledge and you have tools, which is what I teach as a coach about balance, you have one foot in one world and one
0: foot in the other, and you're perfectly fine. Yeah. One of the phrases that I use a lot in the show, and so folks have heard me say it before, but is I think we try to make things in this world, especially in the Western culture, into either ors. It's this or that, right? It's science or religion. It's up or down. It's good or bad. It's left or right. It's black or white. And a lot of times when you start backing up and looking at it, both theology and science, actually a lot of things are both and. It's both matter and energy. It's both thought and Spiritual. It's both. It's an existence of both, and that's what you're talking about with that being in both worlds. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but that's what I'm hearing in that. Is that kind of what you mean, or part of what you mean? Yeah. It's it's,
1: there isn't a drug. I I don't do drugs. I guess I'm one of the few musicians out there that didn't do (laughs) drugs. Well, you
0: were you were in folk music, so maybe that wasn't as big. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Folk, folk musicians drink a lot of beer. I don't. <laughs> they like drink
0: a lot of beer. beer. Yeah,
1: I like wine more sophisticated drinks. I, I um, hang
0: out with a lot of folk musicians. They tend to. You're right. They tend to drink a lot of beer. That's true.
1: <laughs> yeah, and as a friend of mine said the other day, "What's with this thing about not using deodorant with you folk people?" I say, well, we're around too many uh, outside camp festivals." I was going to say they're <laughs> they're performing
0: outdoors a lot,
1: <laughs> but there isn't any drug that can take you on a trip, like an inner spiritual experience. And it's different for everybody. I get a lot of people who are um, very right-wing Christians coming at me through podcasts and things and commenting and say, you need to find Jesus to be saved.
0: What makes you think I have it? I'm not a
1: Christian, but Jesus, be still and know that I am God, be in this world, but not of this world. That's a marvelous Spiritual stuff, man. You know, I would love to meet Jesus personally. I would love to meet Buddha. Mm -hmm. So everything to me is one thing. I had a woman once make a comment on a YouTube video I made. She went on and on about I needed to find this. I need to find that. And I just replied to her. I said, everything is God.
0: That was it. And... So I am Christian, and I will tell you that I don't disagree with you. I actually think God and Christ and mercy and love and all of those things shows up in different ways for different people. I'm not a firm believer in it. Like you said, it's not necessarily that you aren't finding Jesus. I just don't think necessarily you found it the same way I did. And that's not required. I don't think.
1: Yeah. I grew up on Peter, Paul and Mary. And they became my mentors and friends. And one of, I was very, very close to Mary, all of them. And Mary passed away several years ago. But I started to do a lot of work and developed a very beautiful friendship with Noel Paul Stuckey, who is a real big Christian. What a beautiful guy. He gets me, he gets everybody, he's, he's the, I think, the epiphany of. Christian is he's just loving towards everybody he doesn't claim any one thing or another but he loves Jesus his life is definitely lived as a Christian he's a mm-hmm. great guy funny too
0: <laughs>
1: funny too and very talented yeah. and uh, I like hanging around positive people and I know?
0: figure here's the other thing I figure I figured the decision about whether or not you've found spirituality or whatever that decision gets to be- be made above my pay grade anyway. <laughs> you yeah, know that's I mean? yeah. not my decision. <laughs> so yeah. that's for you and God to figure out, not me.
1: I really enjoy this the mystical uh, spiritual teachings of Jesus, as mm-hmm. well as Buddha and, and the other.
0: And Muhammad um, and yeah.
1: Yeah. I live in Southern California. To me, Jesus was one of the ultimate hippies, one of the original
0: ones. <laughs> think about it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, I think sometimes in some ways modern Christianity would not always show up in a way that Jesus would ever recognize. And I think other ways it does. Again, I don't think it's a good or bad. I think there's both exist within the spirituality of Christianity. Let's talk a little bit more about the coaching and the dulcet meditation and how that actually came about. And then how does that show up? Tell us more about what that looks like.
1: About a year before COVID, a friend of mine asked me what I was going to be doing next. And I said, Well, I guess I'll write a new album. And he said, You've got 50 record albums. You survived a death sentence. You went from basically barely surviving to thriving. Why don't you talk to people about what you did with that and how you did it? Because it's a remarkable story. So I said, I guess I'd have to figure out what I did. And uh, where would I do this? And he said, things called life coaches. And uh, I said, well, what do they do? And he said, Google them. They're all over the place. So I Googled what a life coach was. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to do something like this. Man. <laughs> the- these people assume that they know everything. Or I don't know, but this doesn't feel like I'm a life coach. And I said, plus, you know, I don't see I where the music would even fall into this. And then my friend said, the way you play the dulcimer really chills you out, and you space out when you play it. It's dulcimer meditation. Uh, And then the light bulb went off, and I went, oh. And then something kept pushing me inside, I guess just my gut, to really look into this life coaching thing. And what I realized is that how I'm different and every other life coach on the planet really is that I teach from my own experience and I've been through a lot. And what I did to get out of cancer, to get out of debt, to get out of a really stinking thinking way of life and turn my life around is not random. I really figured it out. And I continued to use it so that when I came out to California and a year passed and the cancer never returned, I didn't give up the changes that I'd made in my life. So the two big lines that I use with clients is one from Wayne Dyer, which is when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And the other came from me and it says, when you replace what doesn't work with what does, you don't go back to what doesn't work. (laughs) So why would I go back to the things that caused me stress and the way I was thinking and dealing with things when I can say to myself, okay, these sets of tools, you teach them to other people, you use them yourself, it works for your clients, it works for you, so just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how I became my a life coach in my sense. And then I started to teach people who play dulcimer to do dulcimer meditation and also people who don't know how to play a musical instrument and think that they don't have talent or anything. The dulcimer is taught in elementary schools and dulcimer meditation is so simple. The concept is not to think when you're playing. So I'm turning on a lot of people to the dulcimer, which is a, a wonderful thing. to do. I've been known as an innovative player in the dulcimer world since 1974, mm-hmm. but this is a whole new thing. I'm the first ever come up with dulce meditation so i basically do me and when i coach i'm coaching people as i would coach myself the other thing i think i do differently is that i only work with maybe two handfuls of people i have no interest in being a rock star coach making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year this isn't a business to me it's a delightful living but it's not a business Um, and it's been going on now Where are we? 2023 when this is being aired. So I've been doing it about two, three years. And my book came out in 2022 in the fall Mm -hmm. uh, called Between the Notes. And it talks about all of this. And uh, so far, it's been getting really great reviews and people really are inspired by it. I think that's the reason I survived cancer. I think it was not to have a career in music so much, but to help other people get through things. There's a lot of people in a lot of pain out there. I had a host the other day ask me, what is your last word of advice for anybody? And I said, have hope in that there's help out there. If you're an alcoholic, if you're a drug addict, if you're being abused, whatever it is, there's free help. And there are people waiting to talk to you. So one of the things that cancer taught me was empathy this is everywhere. People are really nice. The news doesn't say that. But people are really <laughs> well that really doesn't nice.
0: sell as many newspapers. <laughs> you
1: know, and I learned empathy for myself too.
0: So how and the dulcimer and the cancer, what changed in the way you looked at the music before the diagnosis and after?
1: oh the music was all about being rich and famous i liked what i was doing i had a lot of success at it in the 70s i got i caught the dulcimer wave of popularity (laughs) then in the 80s i caught children's family music the wave of that and then i got lucky because i got to sing the theme to the hit pbs show shining time station so the producer used to put his uh, daughter to bed with my Lullaby album, and he called me one day and said, I'd love you to sing the theme to the show. It's going to star Ringo of the Beatles. And uh, wisely, I did. And the show came out, I don't know, maybe six, eight months later on PBS, and it was an instant hit. So at that point, my life as a folky... And playing some clubs and doing some kids' concerts for a couple hundred bucks went through the roof because now I could call any major concert hall and say I'm the singer from Shining Time Station and they'd book me for a lot of money. So everything was really about fame and fortune, which was really the path I thought to happiness. I tell people sometimes that, I hope I'm not rambling this morning. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're good. But I was on a, a tour once and it was very successful. The audiences loved it. I made a lot of money. And every night I'd come back to the hotel and I'd sit on the bed and I'd say, why are you so unhappy? You got everything. You've picked the songs. You're getting the encores. You're getting the money. You're making more money, dude, in two months than people make in two years. And here you are. What going on i couldn't figure it out couldn't figure it out and what happened is it took a death sentence and then the music became about more than just the business because it was always heartfelt i always loved doing my music but then it became about my own healing my own saying this doesn't matter if this new record you've just finished sells, because you made this for you this is about you now, which ended up being thrown in with a possible Grammy nomination. But that's wow. how it works. So it was a great relief not to have any of this, the dulcimer, the Dulcie meditation or the coaching be about me, about Kevin Roth. Kevin Roth, the performer in the career, exists online. You can hear my albums and you can watch videos, but that guy's not around anymore. I now... You can't book me for a concert unless I'm doing a talk on this, on mm-hmm. talk on how, and my talk is really about finding hope. I have no interest in going out there and just being a, giving a concert. I'll do a small concert with the conversation with the audience right. about hope, but I have no interest in Kevin Roth, the uh, the performer. When I was writing the book, it was interesting to look back. Part of me was very proud, and part of me felt very sad for myself that I had to, but I didn't enjoy the whole ride that Mm -hmm. I made it about something that I wish I hadn't made it about, but that was my spiritual path. Right. That's what got me to where I am. That
0: that's the interesting thing about experiences is, you know, in a way we look back sometimes with regret when in reality, the truth is if you hadn't gone through if you hadn't made those mistakes, you wouldn't have learned those lessons, perhaps, too. Yeah, yes. You know? So it, it's what got you here is what got you here. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and now I am I live a great life.
1: I'm really happy and I'm helping other people. And it's you're marvelous. healthy. I uh, am, I'm, yeah. And you still get to play music? A lot, more than I did before. <laughs> and more people are hearing me because they're hearing me talk about this stuff. They're hearing me on podcasts. They're watching. I had a video on YouTube that I made a, about a year ago on an out of body experience that had maybe two, three hundred views. And then suddenly it's up to sixty seven thousand. It went viral on YouTube. And I've heard for hundreds of people thanking me for making it. Oh, your music's beautiful. So it's like I have a second career in spite of in spite of yourself. Of, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, that's that uh- I think that happens to us sometimes though the things we chase run away sometimes until we stop chasing them and then they show up. yes, it's weird to have that I know people that relationships with with wealth with fame with finding things they love they chase it chase and chase and when they finally stop chasing it shows up whatever it is sometimes yeah what do you think? How do you think the music works? Works isn't the right word, but I'm going to leave that word. How do you think that works with people to help them find that hope that you're hoping that they find?
1: Music speaks louder than words. With dulcimer meditation, you cannot play anything wrong. You can't make a bad note because of the way the dulcimer is set up. Automatically, the dulcimer has a sweetness a hugging kind of a vibe to it. It's just a beautiful looking instrument. Um, I have one that I developed called the Wink Cosmic Dulcimer that's built by uh, the dulcimer shop for me and I I sell those online and they have all these stars and planets and it's a fun experience to play a meditative thing and look down and see the cosmos on your lap. <laughs> <laughs> but it's accessible, music's accessible. And if you do it with lyrics, and the lyrics move you, it helps validate things about yourself or bring things to your consciousness that you'd forgotten about or or aware of. If it's an instrumental like Dulcie meditation, and you can sit down and not look at your cell phone and just sit and immerse yourself in silence, which is ultimately the highest spiritual experience there is, you feel physically. Like you're letting go of the world and you feel really good. So the more you do that and the more you taste that, the more you want to repeat it. That's why I, I don't answer the phone anymore unless I know who you are. I have relatives that call me and I know that they've got an agenda. And I say, no, not now. Where before it was like, oh, my God, I've got to, I've got to answer. I've got to check my email. I've got to check my phone.
0: Why? Why? Yeah, but because we have to and by the way we also have to check facebook and instagram so, and twitter and all the other 72 yeah. things that are on our phone
1: as a coach i teach two little principles among many one is that you should not live in fear which is false evidence appearing real real right and you should live in faith and this is my acronym for faith finding or following an intuition that helps okay so you tune into your what I call mindful awareness. And you say, I'm suddenly feeling like I'm a little uptight. Why? And what can I do about it? And then you burst the bubble because they're all just bubbles. And you begin to enjoy that process and you start living from that viewpoint. So if you need to not check your cell phone and you need to listen to some Dulce meditation, that's great. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's interesting though, because people... I deliberately use the word I use, I have to check. And one of the th- phrases that I use when I'm working with folks is, no, you chose to, you know, yes. because I think a lot of times we take, we give up our own power, we say, I have to do something because even if somebody had a gun to your head, you have a moment that is that, and somebody says, do this or else you still have, a yes. even in that moment, you have a choice. Yeah. And Let's face it there are some things that somebody would tell me to do and I would choose no you're going to have to shoot me I'm not going to do it. And then there are other things where I'd be like nope I can do that. I'll do that. But it's it is about I think sometimes we give up our power of choice too because we don't recognize that we have it. So I've got a few questions that I like to ask every guest but before I go there are there anything else about the coaching that you do or the music that you'd like to share with the listener.
1: I have a free stress buster Breathing exercise on my website, which is kevinroth.org. And on my website, there's a lot of podcasts and things. So there's valuable information, including a link to my book. The fun thing about my book is each chapter ends with a song, and you can download the song when you buy the book. So it's like a, a listening audio and musical experience. And if people are interested in talking to me as a coach, there's a a form you fill out and fill it out and then see if we can make some time to, to do it. Other than that, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. My brand and kind of the lens that I run things through is this word stewardship. And yet, it's like we were talking about with other words, it's one of those words that has different meanings to different people. So what does the word stewardship, when you hear that word, what does that word bring to mind for you? I rarely ever think about the
1: word, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm-hmm. What's your definition? How do you use it? Let me react to that.
0: <laughs> so my definition is the recognition that we are given gifts and we are given opportunities and we are given blessings. They're not ours, but they're ours to manage on the be- for the benefit of others and for the benefit of mm-hmm. God. If that makes sense. Yes. I would agree pretty much with that.
1: I would only add that there are hidden opportunities when you learn to listen within. Because I think ultimately that's where everything that matters exists is from within. The more you can get your mind and ego out of things, the faster you'll get to the truth.
0: What are, with that in mind, what are some of the ways that you found, and I'm going to assume that's part of the benefit of the Dulcie meditation is it helps you unplug from that ego. Is that part of the reason that you use that?
1: Redirects your thinking to really not thinking, just listening, and then listening to your inner voice, listening to what it says, the advice it's giving
0: you. So this is my favorite question that I like to ask people. And I'm curious, I'm curious where you'll go with it. Imagine for a minute that I can invent this magic machine, and with that machine, I was able to pluck you from the chair where you sat today and transport you into the future 150, maybe 200 years. And through the power of this machine, you were able to look back on your entire life and see all of the impacts, all of the relationships, all of the ripples that you've left behind in the world. What do you hope that you've left behind in the world?
1: Oh, I know what I'm going to leave behind. I'm going to leave a lot of music and a good book and helping people's lives change that I don't have any problem with what I would wish I had done differently is been in in, in a sense. I say differently because I had to go through what I needed to go through to get to where I am today, but I would have been a lot kinder to people and myself. I wouldn't have, Had People used to come up to me all the time and say, oh my God, your concert was so wonderful, so beautiful. And I would look at them and I'd think, gee, I wish I was there. I was working. Because I loved the music. I loved performing. I'm a fairly talented guy, but I didn't get it. I didn't get... Everything was business and money-driven, which was really how I was raised, to be quite honest with you. I was raised in a pretty dysfunctional place. And I was raised to think as long as you had a buck in your pocket, you were doing okay. There's a story I tell in the book that's really interesting. Not long ago, I was at a taco stand. And there were these two Mexican workers sitting at this bench, eating and having Coronas. And uh, they were laughing their butts off. Like they didn't have a care in the world. And just a few feet away from them was a guy in a business suit eating a taco and he was on his phone and he was pacing back and forth and he was having an argument about money with somebody. And what caught my attention was that the taco sauce, the red sauce was dripping down the side of his hand, down his arm and it looked like blood. And the image that came to me is This guy's life is bleeding. He's got to have thousands of more dollars than these Mexican workers. I mean, just look at the two of them. But where was the joy? Where was the happiness? Was it all in a 401k stock market? Just looking at this guy. And I noticed it. And that's what mindful awareness is. That's what I teach. Stay aware of that stuff. They're little scenes, little secrets everywhere. They show up, man. They're right in front of you. That's what's fascinating. That's what's fun about what I do. And I've thought about all the people I know who are rich and famous. And I thought about all the handful of people I know who don't have a pot to piss in. And I'll tell you, those people are happier. The people <laughs> who don't have any money. They, they really are, which I knew when I was a kid, because I hung around a lot of poor folks. I had friends that were hillbilly musicians, you know, but I still didn't get it because ultimately What I and you and everybody that listens to your show we're looking for is to feel loved and validated by God and or whatever you want to call it. And we try and live a life so that we, quote, get to heaven. There's no getting to anywhere. You're there. And when you recognize that, it's a game changer. At the same time, it's difficult getting there, and it's difficult staying there. I'm gonna, I'll i tell you as a coach, you want to be happy? Forget about it. You're not going to be happy all the time. Don't expect it.
0: Right. But that's you know? a false expectation anyway. Yeah. That's not, that's not yeah. the world that we were. I don't, think that's, I don't think anything in the universe has ever promised us that.
1: <laughs> no. When I look at my dog. I have a wonderful relationship with the soul. Unconditional love. Un, that's why dog is God spelled backwards. In my mm-hmm. theory.
0: And Aceo has a bad day from time to time, doesn't he?
1: Not my dog. <laughs> my my dog is so spoiled, dude. I had a wallet made with his picture on the cover of it. Honest to God, <laughs> my,
0: I've actually always said that my. But if reincarnation is real, I hope to be reincarnated as a dog with a good owner because <laughs> they're yeah. <got> made.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I say I'll, I'll be in a relationship when I can find someone as sweet as my dog. Um, Oh
0: boy, you're setting that. Boy, (laughs) that's a high bar. (laughs)
1: Yeah. But just be, just give
0: yourself a break.
1: It's the intention. If you keep thinking and desiring from your heart to be close to whatever your spiritual path is, you'll be there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not an if or, or. I, most of my clients, I end up giving just permission to being through a lot of the sessions,
0: sometimes that's what coaching really is is helping someone get permission, so to speak, even though we're not the ones that give them permission. It's about tuning them in to the fact that, no, you've actually got permission to do what you've already, you know what you need to do. You're just not doing it sometimes.
1: Yeah. Um, Or they're not allowed to. I had a a client mm -hmm. once who was told that she wasn't smart enough to be a nurse and she spent her whole life believing that. And until she met me and she was in her late 60s and she didn't have the strength to be a nurse or go to school, but she still desired that. And I said, Why don't you think about becoming a Reiki massage therapist? That mm-hmm. takes no physical energy at all. And it's part of the healing process. And she just lit. That's better than any standing ovation. That's marvelous. That that's a gift that I was given. And I'm um, trying as much as I can not to be in any way egotistical about this, but the heart, the school of hard knocks that I went through, that was my coaching school is what is the gift that I believe I was put on the planet to help others, to show them guide them really back to their own spiritual path, whatever it is for them.
0: It's really all it is. Absolutely. So what's, Coming next as we kick off 2023. What's next on the roadmap? You got the book that just came out, and what's next?
1: I'm hoping this now finally hit the road a little bit and give some workshops and residency and talks. If anybody wants to bring me out to your neck of the woods, you can contact me on my website. And I've discovered you know, all my life I've been a songwriter. I've never written a book. And oh my God, that was so much fun. The hit of the book really is the part I read about my dog, Bosco. So I think the next book I'm going to start writing on is my life with Bosco and the relationship between animals and the healing. Bosco is a, if you go to my Facebook page, which is Kevin Roth, you'll see pictures of him all over the place. He's a miniature dachshund that's dapple. And he just, he's about 14 pounds, small, and he just looks like a puppy. He's eight years old, nine, eight or nine years old. And everyone who sees him loves him. People stop on the street and take pictures of him. And he, he's, a, he's just a great soul. I really think a soulmate for me. And he's been there through everything. The death of my father, my relationship ending, my business, my cancer, everything. And there's a relationship there that's wonderful. So I'm going to write about him and why it's wonderful and how it's opened me up and how I see in other people, because ultimately my books are about other people, not about me. I use my own life as examples from time to time, but to recognize that the healing energy of their pets is, is transverse, you can make it about yourself as well and other people. But that's my next project. And there's I'm always making new records and new stuff on that. Absolutely.
0: So you can find out more about Kevin and find him on YouTube or Facebook as Kevin Roth or find out more about the work he does and the book and links to all of that over at his website, Kevin Roth Kevin, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener?
1: Keep listening to this podcast because you're a good guy <laughs> and you. have hope Everyone goes through dark nights of the soul and it's the cracks that let the light in.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and impact the world.